Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. I grew up an unchurched Methodist. I, I say that because we didn't go to church much at all. But when we did, it was a Centenary United Methodist Church in Smithfield on the eastern side of the state. And uh, my parents divorced when I was a freshman. And uh, we moved around a bit after that. And I went to live with my dad down in White Lake, Elizabethtown area, even further east. And a high school friend led me to Christ. Uh, it was textbook, uh, friend to friend uh, in high school and uh, pointed me the way to the cross. And, and because of John, you know, I'm here, here today. And uh, so go off to university and, and, and I think I'm gonna be a track coach and uh, a school teacher. And that was the preparation I was going down. And uh, summer before senior year, I worked at a Christian camp called uh, Camp Oak Hill uh, around Oxford and uh, felt called in the ministry that summer terrified me because I was pretty shy as a kid and, and all that business, but surrendered to that, went back and finished out senior year at Carolina and became a youth pastor. And I came home one day from church after two years and I, I looked at Christy and I said, we got to go. We're, we're done. And, you know, she thought it was like an uber negative. And she said, what happened? I went, well, I just taught the junior high Sunday school class and they know infinitely more than I do about the Bible. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up in church and I'm like day by day, week by week. And when junior hires know more than you, it's a pretty good idea to go to seminary. So we went to Regent and uh, had a great experience and on one hand, but on the other, I was in such a hurry. I did not enjoy it. And it is such a joy to get to talk to you today, to, to talk to you a little bit about the enjoyment of these years. And I know they're hard. I know when I went, I thought it was gonna be like this glorious, you know, revival for, you know, several years of my life. And it wasn't, it was, a, it was more of a boot camp, but it was beautiful as I look back. But I was in such a hurry that I didn't know how to live in the moment. I didn't know how to live in that day and to savor that and to cherish the godly people around me that were pouring into my life and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And I did, I got out fast. I checked out earlier than I wish I had of. And I went back to Durham and I pastored my first church and I led that church from 90 members to 30. It no longer exists, it's gone. And through that experience, it was one of the toughest, toughest experiences and one of the most beautiful experiences of my life in that there's beauty from ashes and there's beauty in brokenness and there's beauty in not always having it easy. And so we, we started just asking the Lord, you know, we had about $400 to our name. Joy and Zach, who are now 27 and 25, were like three and one. We were broke, our rent was done, we had nowhere to go. And Christy went over to a, a prayer meeting at Providence in Raleigh with a bunch of ladies and a old, bunch of older ladies who are now my age. And they, they seemed old to us when we were in our late 20s. And I put Joy and Zach to bed and I got out experiencing God. And it said in that passage uh, that we read that night from Genesis 12:1, and the Lord said to Abram, leave your country and your people and go to a land that I'll show you. 
And it was one of those times I can count on this hand where the Holy Spirit grabbed me in my heart and I began to weep in my pajamas in my bed and I wrote in that book, yes, Lord, we'll go. Because I had gotten a job offer from my father-in-law in Houston right before I read that. And the job offer was to do manual labor in the back of his oil and gas shop in Katy, Texas, outside of Houston. I could live upstairs with my wife and two children in his home and I would make minimum wage and there was no health insurance. Yay. And we knew we were supposed to go. And so we rolled into Katy, Texas and unloaded the U-Haul and had $100 left to our name and lived with our parents. And Christy grew up Baptist and we, I just said, let's, the Baptist seemed pretty normal. Let's try the Baptist life. And uh, found out it wasn't necessarily true, but <laughs> um, it was a great start for us. And um, we said, is there a Baptist church in the neighborhood? And there was, it was called Kingsland Baptist Church. And for a year of our life, we sat on the back row of this church and I cried every Sunday. And I began to taste grace in a fresh way. You see, when I got there, I felt like a complete failure. And I felt like this is not what I'm supposed to do. I'm gonna be a school teacher and a track coach or something or work with him for the rest of my life, my father-in-law, but I didn't really know what to do. And so I want to talk to you today from one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite books in the book of Nehemiah chapter one. So if you've got one, turn it on or turn to the first chapter of Nehemiah and to look at how God uses the things that don't seem like big deals to really alter your life. The, the things that we call small or inconsequential are really fingerprints of the Lord on our life that we don't always recognize. And in the book of Nehemiah, if you'll notice in the very beginning, it says the words of Nehemiah that happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said, the remnant there in the province who survived the exiles in great trouble and shame, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Father, we pray over this short passage of Scripture that it would be transformative in our hearts and minds today, that it would speak to us in a way that is so much richer than simply more knowledge. So we open our hearts and our minds and pray that it would affect our hands and feet as a result, that we would live differently. And Father, I pray for anybody that's discouraged today, that's just tired from the seminary journey and wondering why they're here. Would you so be a breath of fresh air by the wind of your spirit through this word to them today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The power of this simple question changed the history of Israel and it changed the history of the world and it changed your life. I don't want you to miss that. All that is happening in this moment are two brothers who are shooting the breeze and one guy in exile asks his brother, how's it going back home? That's all the text says. How is it going back in Jerusalem? Now we know from the text that, that Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king to Artaxerxes, favored position, but it's still in exile and it's still a favored slave type or you know, servant type position. It's, it's not the greatest where he is, but it's better than back home. And through the context of a simple question, the history of Israel was transformed by a guy who, who knew nothing about rebuilding a city. He's a cupbearer. He didn't get his construction science degree from NC State. He didn't know anything about walls and engineering and weight and physics. 
And some of you come to seminary like I did when I went, I was a, I was a physical education major because I wanted to continue with track and coach track. And, and so when I got to seminary, I'm sitting around with a bunch of guys who had been undergrad religion majors at Christian universities. I felt so behind. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't study that in undergrad. And I'm sitting there so intimidated. And I think God takes great delight in such opportunities because he gets such glory through our brokenness and our weakness, his strength is perfected. And so you got a guy in Nehemiah, you got a guy like you, got a gal like you sitting there going, what am I doing in this great place with all these smart people sitting around me? You're sitting here because God brought you here. He's crazy about you. He's crazy about his glory and his renown on the earth. And he's crazy about your assignment that awaits you or the one that you're already in. And I want us to understand here the power of a hinge moment. We look for the big door, right? We look for the grandiose all the time. It's like, what's the big thing? And it's just gonna, wow, I'm gonna have this amazing story to tell. Those doors that we walk through back there swing on very little hinges. We don't notice the hinge, we notice the door. When I first got to Carmel, they were tearing down these beautiful wooden doors in the front of our church. And, and I loved those doors and I, and I saw it on a Saturday and I went to our facilities director and I said, Chris, what are you gonna do with all these doors? He said, well, I'm giving them away. I said, can I have some? He said, well, if the last guy doesn't show up, you can have them. So he didn't, because I prayed he would get distracted and not show up. And we got those doors and they're on the front door of my house now, they're beautiful doors. And they just had to cut a couple inches off here and there and, and they're there. And every day I come home and I see those doors, that, those historic doors from this great church on the front door of my house, I see the hinges as much as I see the door. Because I know the power of small moments and how God uses those small moments to transition us and to take us places that we have never dreamed. Susa's like eight, 900 miles from Jerusalem. It's a pretty sweet deal, far away from this destruction. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit grabs him when he asks the question of, how's it going back there? And I want you to sense in history, just, just indulge me for one quick second to just do a timeline for you and to see how one little guy's life has altered history, okay? So, you know, all cooking along with Israel, this, you know, Saul, David, Solomon, United Kingdom, all's well, you know, on, on the surface. And then it splits, right? In the year 931 BC, remember? This United Kingdom splits and here we go. You've got the Yankees in the north called Israel and you got the sweet tea drinkers in the south called Judah, right? And then in 722, they don't listen. They don't listen to the prophets. They're, they're rebellious, they're hard-hearted. He says, don't do it this way, do it my way. There's blessing in my way, there's curse in this way and they don't listen. And so in 722, the Yankees get taken away by the Assyrians. The, the Southerners keep drinking their tea. We've escaped, we're good and then the Babylonians come along in 586 and take them away. And then you have this period of what just happened and they're in exile and this isn't the plan. And you have a fellow named Nehemiah who's got a pretty sweet life. He's the cupbearer, and Israel's in shambles. And through one question of how is it going back home the history of Israel and our history as a result of that in Christ from the line of the tribe of Judah changed. So stop looking for the grandiose, stop living for tomorrow and live in the moment and look at the hinges. So one assignment for the rest of this day, just if you wanna take it for the week, cool, at least for this day, 
Look at every hinge of every door you walk through for the rest of this day. When you go out of the chapel, when you go to lunch, when you go to class, when you go home, just stop for a moment and I want you to imagine how much that door might weigh. That one back there weighs a lot. And there's a little hinge for, for them, you know, on the, on the set of doors that hold them up and they weigh nothing. Even if they're large hinges, they don't weigh much in, per, in perspective. And I want you to ask yourself, I want you to pray, God, give me discernment to see the, the fingerprints of your movement in, in my life. Where are you working? What are these hinge moments? I don't want to miss them. I don't want to be so in a hurry that I miss it. Because what's happened here is, you know, there were three waves coming back from exiles. The rubble brings back some, about 50,000. Ezra brings back a couple thousand. And then this Nehemiah guy shows up who's got no experience. He rolls into town and this wall that's been down for over a hundred years is rebuilt in 52 days. Why? Because of God's faithfulness, but because one guy asked his brother a question. It's very Hebraic. Hebraic thought is beautiful with the asking of questions to answer questions. We want all the answers and we just kind of go our merry way. I would suggest that you learn how to ask good questions as you leave this place for the rest of your life. The paradox of learning the word in this journey is the more you learn, the older you get, the more you feel like you don't know. It's this odd thing. Like the more I've learned of this over the last 30 years of my life, the more I recognize that I don't really know. It's this jewel, this living, breathing word of God that speaks to us. So to encourage you, first and foremost, I wanna ask you, I wanna implore you, guys, rest in the sovereignty of God. Rest in his plans and his purposes. The things that look like detours and mistakes and failures and stepping backward, they're all a part of God's will unfolding for your life. I remember when we were in Houston, I was working for my father-in-law for a while that first year. And then I started working with um, the students there and I also had a paper route. So I was tired. And I remember slinging the papers one night in the inner city of Houston. I was slinging, um, it wasn't the Chronicle, it was an investor's business journal actually. And it wasn't the inner city, it was around River Oaks, which is really a fluent area. And I started just having a really good pity party about 4.30 in the morning in the middle of Houston. And I remember just getting madder and madder. And I'm like, I've been to Chapel Hill. I've been to seminary. Why am I throwing newspapers in Houston, Texas? Up until that point, I had never been west of the Mississippi River. I was a small town kid growing up. And the guy that I worked for, my youth pastor, I was the associate youth pastor. He went to Baylor. He had to go to Southwestern. He's got his little house. He's, he's not living with his in-laws. Paper out the window, out the window. I got madder. And I remember the Holy Spirit just speaking to my heart and saying, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. I started to do custodial work at that same church. I was a youth pastor, I was a prayer pastor, I was the singles pastor, I was the young marriage pastor, I was the associate for marriage and family. And when I came back to Carmel three and a half years ago, or back to Carolina, I was the senior pastor at the same church that we sat on the back row of 20 years prior, weeping, not understanding what was unfolding in front of my eyes. 
And I say that to testify to the goodness of God in the journey. And that when the darkest, in the darkest, his presence can be the sweetest. So it's not about success. It's not about bigger. It's about faithfulness. It's about being true to the call that God's placed on your life. And guys, I want to tell you right now, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And it is for him to glorify himself through you. Your life counts, man. You might feel like God has forgotten you and he doesn't know your address and all such things. He does, he does, he does, he does. Don't fall prey to the, to the lie that it's not worth it. It is. One of my historical mentors that I love, love, love is William Wilberforce. I'm obsessed with his life and his movies and his books and If you've not heard his story, I'll just tell you very quickly. uh, There was a guy named Dr. Bulge, a guy named uh, Isaac Milner, and William Wilberforce. And you go, what do they have to do with my life? And I'll tell you this, everything. William was that brilliant guy, five foot three, tiny guy who served in the British Parliament for 40 years, three days before his death, you know, slavery finally abolished in the entire British Empire. Gave his life to that. Wrestled with, should I be in Parliament or should I be a preacher? And he grew up in this unchurched family, but his family sent him to live with his aunt and uncle who were holy rollers and they, they were afraid of them. They were Methodist. And Methodists in that time in British history, were the, they were called the enthusiasts. They were the holy rollers and they were, they were looked down upon because of their fervor. And so he's wrestling with you know, life and what should I do? And he's gonna take a long journey to the French Riviera in a coach and it's a 1500 mile journey. It's a week's Weeks, weeks. It's not get on the plane and go. It's looking at your one companion going, so what's your family like, right? Kind of like awkward. You're looking at each other for weeks. And he invites his buddy to go named Dr. Bulge. And Dr. Bulge says yes, and then he backs out. And William, who's on this journey to find more, you know, what Christ looks like, but he's skeptical. Ask this guy named Isaac Milner. He sat in the same chair as Sir Isaac Newton at Cambridge, the same one that Stephen Hawking sat in. In other words, Isaac Milner that sat across from him was one of the smartest guys on the planet. And he also loved Jesus. And for weeks with his intellect and with his heart, he shared the gospel with William. William ends up giving his life to to the gospel ministry through parliament, but it was through It was through the backing out of an appointment of Dr. Bulge and this giant of a man. They were quite the odd couple. William's 5'3", about 110, and Isaac Milner was said to be a giant. And this odd couple gets in the journey and his life changes. Slavery in the British Empire stops. Slavery in this nation is affected because of that. Why? Because one guy backed out of a trip and another guy got in the coach and the little guy comes to Christ. Those are hinge moments. Hinge moments have happened all around you and are continuing to happen. You just gotta look for them. They're not mistakes. They're not backups. They're not wasted days. God redeems every moment of your life to further his kingdom and his plan and his purpose through your life. You're not here by accident. You're here for a reason, God's reason. Know that. So just take a deep breath and rest in the sovereignty. You planted a church in Boston 
for God's purpose. Would you have ever thought that 10 years ago? I don't know, I don't know your past. But I think all of us sit in certain places and go, really, how did I get here? Through the hinge moments of God's activity in your life. So rest in his sovereignty, guys, just rest. But I want you to notice the phrase in verse four that says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned. So on one hand, I want, you, I want to encourage you to rest in God's sovereignty. Like you're, you know, you're here for a reason. I bet you looked at a bunch of other seminaries as you prepared for this one and you're here and God brought you here for, this, for such a time as this. But some of the drivers that will keep you in the game, that will keep you in the saddle 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now in the ministry are found in that phrase is that you've got to have a burden for the gospel ministry and you've got to have a burden for the people that God calls you to because otherwise it's just a job. And when it gets hard, and it will, because ministry is not just all rose petals, right? There's, there's tough stuff, death, unexpected death, all kinds of things happen in ministry. If there is a brokenness in your heart for a people, for a place, that's what gives you an anchor to endure. They say that's one of the things that gave William the ability to endure for 40 years of contentious parliament debate, his love of the word, his prayer life, and his community with the Clapham sect. And so I would, I would, I would say this, if you, if you don't have a love for the people that God's called you to, you need to really check some things. Because I believe that where God calls you as a shepherd, that he puts a love in your heart for those people. Have you ever had a friend go to a certain place and you go, I can't believe, he like loves it there. I would like cut my arm off before I go there. Like, I don't wanna go there. What a nasty place. And he thinks it's just like he won the lottery. What is that? It's God's call. I worked with a fellow at this church in Texas for a while when, we were, when I was an associate there and he was in a different role down the hall. And all the time he, he lamented and he, he disparaged the community that we lived in. It was a very wealthy suburban area of Houston. He was always talking about the soccer moms and their suburbans and the wealth of this and all that. And after a while, and I remember telling my wife one day, I, saw, I told her, I said, so-and-so, he's not gonna be here long. He'll either choose to leave or, or he'll, he'll be removed because he doesn't, he doesn't love the sheep. But if you have, if you have a love for the sheep, a, a, a Holy Spirit given love for the sheep, when the winds blow and the tough times come, you can endure. Because you know, man, this is where I'm called to be. But that as great as that transition was into the church in Texas, there were tough times. We went through a couple of building campaigns. We went through a couple of moral failures on our staff. There were some tough times. Do you know what got me through? One of the things that got me through that was understanding from that night in my pajamas when God said from Genesis 12, 1, go to a land that I'll show you. It was my anchor. And there was a burden for those people. And there was a weeping with them and a rejoicing with them. And you've gotta have this. Twice in Nehemiah, he makes the statement, God put this in my heart to do. Because if you, if you know this story, it's not like they just come in and it's easy. There's like trash talking from Tobiah and Zimbalat and these guys are like, you know, a fox could walk in that wall and knock it down. And there's opposition, they're tired, they're weary. It's, it's tough but they get it done in 52 days, this massive project. Because Nehemiah asked his brother a question and God spoke to him. 
and he gave him a burden. And through the burden was a love. You're gonna go all over the world. You'll pastor all over this world. You'll go on the mission field all over this world. And I pray that as you go, that God births in you such a love for those people that's tenacious, that you fight for your sheep and you love your sheep. And when the sheep bites you on the ankle because sheep do bite, that you, you, you stay and you love and you lead and you, you cast vision and you don't run from that. That comes from understanding the sovereignty of God and having a burden. But the last thing I wanna to say to you is in the same verse where it says he, 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 he wept and he mourned, but he prayed and he fasted for them. My wife does an amazing job of challenging me to abide in Christ. And one of the greatest challenges for me is to read this book without reading it through the lens of a preacher. So I force myself sometimes, I, read the, I preach out of the ESV, but I force myself to devotionally read out of other translations sometimes, in paraphrases sometimes, so that I can't go there with my mind so that I can go, I'm Alex, a child of the Father in this moment. I'm not Pastor Alex. But friends, I wanna tell you this. You're super excited about all the knowledge you're learning and you, and you should be. There's a wealth of knowledge. This is the living word of God. Soak it up, live in it, grow in it and all such things. But know this, if it becomes a textbook and it doesn't become a book that God speaks to your soul from, you will crash and burn. You will begin to have a lifeless ministry. And if you have a pulpit, it will become history and romance and, and intrigue as a storyteller. But the anointing of the Holy Spirit will not be on your life. Jesus said it this way, if you abide in me and I in you, right, you can bear much fruit. But if you don't, you can do what? Come on, your master's people, come on. Starts with an N. Nothing. This is hard to say, wasn't it? You can do nothing. I can do nothing. Dr. Aiken can do nothing outside of the abiding in Christ. So I want to I challenge you to spend the rest of your life walking with Christ in an abiding relationship that is more than simple information. Here's what I pray every Sunday when I open the word before Carmel. Father, we thank you that this word is the living word of God but we ask that it would not be information today alone, but it would be transformative. So whatever we hear in our hearts and minds, may it find its way into our hands and feet, right? That's the goal, is that this book speaks to us as leaders. So I wanna, I wanna pray for you that the Lord would encourage you today. I know in a room this size with this many students that some of you have asked the question recently or have been reminded of it in this moment, why am I here? Or I am so tired or I'm so broke that I'm ready to get out of here and get going with ministry. Don't rush the process. I wish I had had more wisdom to be patient in the journey. Enjoy these days. You're living, even though they're hard, some of the best days of your life right now. And they're preparing you for the next season of life, which will be the best days of your life. You're in a good place, right? So can I pray for you for the wind of the Holy Spirit to encourage you? Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would embrace every brother and sister in this room 
who might be weary or who might be on top of the world for that matter, but that we would rest in your sovereignty today, that we would recognize those little hinge moments that don't seem like a big deal, but they are. Help us to have discerning hearts to see them and to to rejoice in them. But Father, we also pray that you'd give us a burden for that place where we're gonna serve, that place where we are serving, that we would love deeply. And we, we recognize that we can't love unless we love you back and love out of that well of your love. And Father, I pray over my friends in this room. I pray over the faculty. May we abide in Christ. May we recognize our, our complete inability to do anything outside of that. And yet the joy of fruitfulness in our lives when we do, because you're so faithful. So Lord, would you encourage by the wind of your spirit, those in this room today for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.